So let's be real. Home is the place where all of the beautiful goodness Christ taught crashes headfirst into the ugly brick wall that is real life. But this is also where it starts to really matter. This is where we equip ourselves and our family with all of the tools, skills, and whatchamacallits vital to succeed in Christ. Join us in our journey to find light, positivity, and specific practical ways to make our homes little outposts of heaven so we can better brighten wherever we end up wandering. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Outpost of Heaven, the podcast. This is Emily Jordan, and I'm here as always with Andrew. With Andrew, the humble. Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're super excited to uh, have you guys here with us. We have a really cool guest. Uh, I'm very excited about this content. Um, a lot of times we get guests and they come on and we're like, I have no idea what we're going to talk about. And I, I hope this works out. But looking at this, um, at Lucy's kind of expertise and what she wants to talk about, I'm really excited for this one. Yeah. So we have Lucy Ritter here from Virginia. Hi, Lucy. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. We're happy to have you. Um, Lucy works with, I mean, you can probably tell it better than me, but it's basically like child development, right? And all the child learning things. Yes. So fun. So today we're going to be put more eloquently. All the child child learning things. No, but I like that. I love it. It does cover it. Like I love um, following you on Instagram because you have like so many cute little songs that you do. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And me and Hiram and Ruth totally like have learned them (laughs) and it's really fun. So yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started with what you do. Um, yeah, so I am a, an early childhood, um, educator and a parent educator. Um, I actually have a specialization in outdoor education, which we'll talk about a little bit. Um, but, um, I, oh, like how I got started, uh, it's kind of a long process. Um, I guess I'll do it a little shorter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Try to expedite it a little bit. I actually got really interested. Um, I worked at Disney World for a little while um, right after oh. high school. And that was fun working with people. Um, but then... Were you a character? I, no, I was not. I'm okay. not brave enough. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you could play Belle. Ah, thank you. Beautiful brown that. hair. <laughs> I, uh, it's, yeah. It, there's yeah. a lot of pressure. It, they're really brutal auditions, apparently. Oh, okay. Um, oh, wow. So I was never brave enough to do that. But anyways, I loved working at Disney World and working with people and children. Um, And then I got a little bit more interested in this um, while I was was serving a mission for our church um, in Brazil. And I did not speak any Portuguese at all when I went down there. Mm -hmm. And I started... I mean, you didn't learn Portuguese in the six weeks at the Missionary Training Center? (laughs) Um... Nope. <laughs> what, was it was it six weeks or nine weeks for Portuguese when you when you went? Um, it was six weeks. It had just changed to six weeks, but then I actually didn't get my visa for quite a while. So I spent about um, three months in the United States first, and then went down to Brazil. So any Portuguese mm-hmm. I had learned is gone. It was gone, just a hundred percent. Oh man, that'd be so hard. Oh yeah, it was it was interesting. And I'm, I will not say that I ever got really really great at Portuguese, but it was children who really taught me Portuguese. They were so patient and they were so excited to have someone to talk to and somebody to teach. You know, generally it's the adults teaching. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so they would correct me and they don't care quite as much about hurting your feelings. So they <laughs> yes. really correct you and they're patient. And that really made me start looking at children differently. Um, and so then, um, there's a couple more things that happened in there, but when I went back to school, um, and was choosing my major again, I switched from nursing to child development because I had so many experience that just led me to there. And it kind of felt like when you're on a mission, um, I don't know if you, you all have served missions, but, um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this feeling, oh yeah, you met on your mission, right? Yes. Yes. We did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but a wonderful thing about serving a mission, um, is knowing that you're exactly where God wants you to be. And mm-hmm. that was the feeling I had when I went, um, went into study child development is like, okay, okay. This is exactly <laughs> that where is God so wants cool. you to be. So, yeah. uh, so yeah, so then I've um, my teaching background is mostly um, in Reggio Emilia inspired education, which we'll get to in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, then I also have done completely emergent child-led curriculum, which is a really cool thing too, but for a different day. Um, and <laughs> then I've had some traditional preschool um, preschool experiences as well. Um, at the moment, I'm not in a classroom though. I am. Um, I just started a business consulting, helping schools and helping um, programs integrate outdoor education either into their existing curriculum or um, help them set up more uh, supplementary nature programs. Um, and that has been fun. And Wow. We have a lot That's of questions so cool. for you. Then we, uh, so we're, I say we, Emily is homeschooling. Oh, um, will be, yeah. Yeah, will be. And we've been talking about like, implementing more like outdoor nature stuff like so. learning experiences so yeah this would be great i'm excited for that yeah, okay I'm, and then I'm a little oh, word. this is a lot of topics um so you'll have to <laughs> stop well, if yeah. i'm going too long on something okay. well and if we if it, we get going and the conversation seems like it needs to be longer we can always just split it into two episodes that'd be totally fine mm-hmm. okay that'd be okay yeah okay so tell me just briefly about your family and how many kids you have I mean, I know, but our listeners don't know. (laughs) Um, So um, my core family at the moment, it's me and my, my little boy, he just turned two and he is the coolest and he (laughs) makes me integrate everything I've learned and practiced in the last, however many years working with children Mm -hmm. in a Uh really high risk 24 seven type of a context. (laughs) (laughs) It's been fun learning alongside him. Um, and then my husband, John, is such an amazing supportive co-parent. Um, and uh, I also come from a big family, though. Um, I, I am number five out of six, and John is number six out of seven. And actually, his whole family was homeschooled. And on our first date... I was like, I don't know if this is going to go anywhere, but would I have to homeschool or teach uh, children? Because that would be a different. <laughs> um, and then now I am. Um, we've been thinking a lot whether or not we would like Leo to go into a traditional school, which clearly my background is not quite traditional. Mm-hmm. Right, that'd be pretty hard to be like a, yeah. a non-traditional education specialist, and then like have like a firm belief in non-traditional education and send your kids into a traditional education yeah, system. Yeah. 
And there's, there's a lot to be said about public schools and they're like, yeah. have awesome, awesome educators there as well. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, and they fulfilled, they fulfilled a societal role for sure. Yes. But in my personal opinion, it's getting a little crazy in that whole realm. <laughs> yeah. And just, you have bureaucrats and people who do not know childhood, uh, running everything and making all the decisions. And so these teachers who have studied the best ways to teach children are not necessarily able to do that. I mean, I'm a, I specialize in outdoor education and recess is something that we're having to fight for to keep in mm-hmm. public schools and oh, things like that. So yeah, it will be interesting. We still have some time. Thank goodness. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, great. We're excited to hear what you have to say. Um, so the first thing that you had mentioned was the Reggio Emilia, um, the Reggio Emilia way. What, what is this? What is this magic? <laughs> what, is this? <laughs> what is this witchcraft? Um, so yeah, this is a philosophy. Um, I'm not going to dwell on this too much. I want to make it more of a, of an introduction, a background about, mm-hmm. um, about the importance of play that we're going to go into yeah. more depth later. Um, mm-hmm. but Reggio Emilia is a, a pedagogy that focuses on respect for the child. They are a co-learner. Um, they have a huge say on their curriculum in the classroom. Instead of the teachers planning a bunch ahead of time, they introduce um a topic or idea and the children kind of go with that. They ask questions and the teachers um, plan a curriculum from there, but it is very loose and very child-led. It focuses a lot on play. It focuses a lot on, on responsibilities for the children, letting them have a lot of, um, a lot of control over their environment. Um, it talks a lot about the environment being the third teacher. So letting them be involved in it, um, having them have jobs, responsibilities. Art is a huge part of it as well. It's viewed as one of the languages, one of the hundred languages of children. So it's a way that children communicate. And so having that be um, be really an important aspect of, um, of the learning process. Um, and you'll see lots of natural materials, lots of these really, uh, minimalist natural classrooms that are kind of starting to crop up. That's kind of led by Reggio Emilia. There's lots of different light sources. They do a lot of light tables and, um, light and shadow discovery. Um, it's a, <laughs> It's a really cool philosophy, um, and um, yeah, there's a lot more to go. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds pretty extensive. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and um, and part of why I don't want to go into it too much is that there are some Reggio-inspired schools in the United States, but there are not a ton. I have the okay. opportunity to work at one, um, but it is kind of the only one that I know of in. It might be the only one in Virginia, um, but there, yeah, there's not a ton of them, mm-hmm. but one of the 
I love the philosophy so much. I've integrated it a lot into our household, the way that I raise Leo. And um, I really love the way that they value play, looking at it as this really valuable work that the child is doing, not a reward that, that they get once they've done the work that they need to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So is this philosophy statistically driven, like research driven, or is like, this is a, this is like an idea that we really like, so we're going to run with it and see if it works out. <laughs> um, you know what? A little of both. Um, it, I think it started out, um, there's a, cool, a whole cool backstory with this. The real Reggio Emilia school is in Reggio Emilia, Italy. And so after World War II, they wanted a better future. They wanted to, to make sure that children were valued and that they're teaching them the right ideals so that we're not having a repeat of all of the horrors that you saw um, in World War II. So, Which I guess is a lofty Good goal, right? <laughs> yes, a really, really important goal, uh, <laughs> but hard to manage. So they actually, they had a tank left over from the war and they sold it and they used that money to start a school based on kind of wow. deals that they... I wonder to whom they sold a tank. Yeah, who bought the tank? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we don't talk about that in school. Yeah. <laughs> or like puttering around somewhere in Egypt or... <laughs> Crazy. Maybe they sold it for parts. Oh, I don't yeah, know. But it went to a good cause wherever it yeah. ended up. Yeah. Yeah. And That's like awesome. oh, this really cool symbolism of like, let's give up this symbol of war and mm-hmm. destruction to create uh, a lot. I, one of the things that I love about um, the Reggio Emilia school that is hard to recreate in a lot of um, the settings that we have here in the United States is that the whole community is involved in it. It's uh-huh. a little bit more like a, like a church type setting. They will go rent out the grocery store. Uh, like the, the grocery store will close down for a day and let the children come and run it. And um, uh-huh. just a bunch of things like that. It's very mm-hmm. integrated into the community. community. Everybody is involved in this idea that children are important. Um, But because they have this unique setup, there's been a lot of research done on that. Um, They set up a perfect, uh, perfect experiment for that. And there's been research research done outside of that. A lot of these philosophies and within the past a hundred years, we've had so much research done on play and the importance of play and that really is at the forefront of the re- research in um, in childcare and um, early learning. We're f- finding out that early learning t- plays a much bigger role than we ever thought before, mm-hmm. and a huge part of that is play. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. I keep thinking about um, this. May sound off topic, but it just keeps coming into my mind that like play is so important. Even in a gospel perspective, I just think about like Jesus Christ and how a lot of the time we think of him as a serious man, but like he was with the kids and like he was probably like playing and stuff. I don't know if you've seen The Chosen. Have you seen The Chosen? No, I saw my not yet. Okay. So there's like some really good scenes in there where he's like with the kids and like happy and like laughing and stuff. And I just keep thinking, like, yeah, play is important. And I think that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ would agree that like it's good for kids to like play and that they probably play too. And they love the children and they do think that they are important and they're an important piece of society too. 
Well, and, and play isn't sometimes when we talk about play, we, we kind of approach it as if it's like a kiddish thing, Yeah. but like the human brain is hardwired, not even talking about like our spirits, but like the, our, we, physiologically we are hardwired to learn through play because it's a way that our brain simulates real activity and we're able to uh, get a lot of the benefits as if we were doing the real thing uh, without having all of the danger. And so like, there's a lot of research about the importance of rough and tumble play. I think we'll probably talk about that, but um, I, I love that. I think that's super <laughs> awesome, especially in the development of young boys. I think it's, it can be important for girls too, but especially young boys, it's super important for them to have that, that rough play because it's only in that rough play. Can they learn what kind of roughness is appropriate and is not appropriate. Yeah. And if they're not, right and like the only way you establish those boundaries is having a controlled setting to like to test those boundaries and if you're not providing a controlled setting to test those boundaries like the kids are going to test them anyway it's just Mm -hmm. not going to be very fun right and it's not going to be as controlled and you're not going to be able to help them as much before we go on to these things i think we'll probably end up talking about some of the stuff i was just talking about but um i did have one question about the philosophy um so being child-led, and you said it's largely child-led, but not entirely child-led, correct? Yes. Um, and so I'm wondering like, how uh, teaching skills goes along with that. Because like, do you, as teachers, do you say, okay, well, these are some like, core skills that we need to get, and I don't care which topic we, we explore to teach those skills, and so you'll go whatever topic is interesting to the kids, but they need to get like certain skills down. Um, that's a good question. Um, it kind of depends. Um, you, especially in Reggio Emilia schools, you'll find that the education of the teachers is a really important aspect. They need to have some background in child development, um, so that they can understand these different developmental milestones that need Uh to pass through. Um, but a simpler answer is play covers all of it. You know, if you have a child who is, um, let's say you want a child to learn how to count to 10. Um, like my little boy walks around all the time counting, counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10. Um, and he's two. At this point, that's not, he's not counting to 10. He does not have one-to-one correspondence. Mm-hmm. This is just a list that he has. And like, could that be a fun party trick? That's a cool thing to be like, look, my two-year-old. <laughs> he's so number. smart. Yeah, he's the smartest boy in school. Um, but <laughs> the way to really work on having him develop that one-to-one correspondence is to give him unit blocks, blocks have blocks of different sizes that he's putting together and see how parts make a whole. Um, having him help with help in the kitchen, learning that when we cut a pizza, there's parts of this pizza. Um, having him um, uh, set, set things on the table, um, put toys into a container. These sort of things are going to be how he develops one-to-one correspondence, not not giving him a an app that a counting app on a tablet not having him watch sesame street although 
I love Sesame Street. There's nothing wrong with these programs, but um, but it's through play that they actually develop the, these skills. It takes it from this abstract into this real, tangible, real life situation. So mm-hmm. I I also I mentioned that I worked with a completely emergent child led curriculum, which was you knew that you were doing your job as a teacher when you were bored. You intentionally stepped back. You intentionally asked them question. If they asked you a question, you asked them a question back. You were not teaching. You were encouraging their learning. Right. Mm -hmm. This is very Socratic, right? Right. And it was amazing that they, they passed through those milestones. Anyways, they passed through them far more quickly than they ever did. This was um, in a forest preschool. So it was outside too, but they checked off these, these skills that they needed to learn. Yeah. Way fast. Well, and I like the way you're talking about it, that as, instead of looking at these skills as being like outside constructs that we force into them, it's, uh, helping them reach natural developmental my- milestones based off of like when it's developmentally appropriate. Right. Right. Well, and why are these important for them to learn? Is it because somebody spontaneously decided that we need to know numbers? It's important because you need to know numbers and it mm-hmm. kind of happens naturally. It's important to walk. That happens naturally. Um, and, and taking it into more of a gospel perspective, I think that is how God works. He doesn't give us commandments because that's what makes God happy. He gives us commandments because that's what makes us happy. That's what mm-hmm. we need. And so these... That's a cool way to look at it. Yeah. But so, but is there a point uh, in, a, in the child's development where you really need to start pushing more? where like they can start coasting. I mean, maybe not like little children, but I think of like teenagers, right? Like if it was totally child led with, with adolescents, um, I, I could see that there being a situation where they, like kids don't want to like push themselves as much. Well, they still have like, I mean, um, a lot of high schools will have like dual immersion or like vocational stuff where they're taking a chemistry class through the hair program or something. You know, so they're like learning things through yeah. education. I don't know. I'm not. Um, I don't know education, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I agree with that because I think your question is as it proceeds. Um, this is more focusing on early childhood and right. pushing before they're ready. But with anything, at some point you do have to introduce something, but it's waiting until they're ready. They do need to learn how to read, even if they don't really feel. Like they want, they to. don't want to, yeah. But it's putting it into a context that they do that care they, about it. So, they enjoy it. right? The example of doing a chemistry class through <laughs> this is probably not really relevant. You can cut this, but I was uh, <laughs> talking to my husband the other day. We were were listening to Harry Potter, and mm-hmm. um, and John was like, "They don't have math class. They don't have any of these." Like, <laughs> If you were, and we were talking about it and, uh, very, very logically and very seriously, but they probably integrated those things into in potions. You potions. Know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. A lot of these, um, these subjects mm-hmm. are, could be integrated into th- real life 
scenarios that you're going to use all of the time. And when you bring it into this real life setting, it's so much easier to learn. You care about it. It's, um, oh, we had a apostle, um, I want to say this was a couple years ago, uh, President Uchtdorf, that he was talking about learning English, and he did not care at all about learning English and thought it was so, so stupid. It wasn't <laughs> until he realized that to become a pilot, he needed to learn English, that he mm-hmm. was able to learn English. It's just mm-hmm. about bringing bringing proper motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Proper motivation. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a super hard balance. I think we all have to find in our lives every day, not just in in teaching children or teaching adolescents, but like when it comes down to it, you have to want it. Right. But like when you're teaching people for whom you have responsibility to teach, like your children or, or like your students, if you are a professional teacher, uh, you also have to kind of, push them at a certain degree. And I, and I like the idea that like you push as much as is appropriate. And so you, you don't necessarily need to push as much with little kids. And like, as they get older, you might need to like start pushing a little bit more, but there's probably not an easy answer to that question. <laughs> oh yeah. And that, and that gets outside of my realm of uh, early childhood. Right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Hey guys, I know that this is a little bit shorter of an episode than you're used to from us, but this conversation was really, really great and it went a little longer than we're used to. Um, And we were able to split it into two kind of different topics. So in this episode that you just listened to, we talked about the Reggio Emilia way. And in the next episode next week, you will hear about encouraging our children to play three different types of ways, risky play, messy play, and outdoor play. And we're really excited for Lucy to teach us more about that next week. In the meantime, have a great week. And if you loved what you listened to here on the podcast, make sure to leave our podcast a rating and review. Um, Five stars is amazing. I mean, of course. And find us on Instagram at Outpost of Heaven and find Lucy on Instagram as well. And that is at Miss Lucy Plays, M-S dot L-U-C-Y dot Plays. And you can also find her podcast, The Speckled Bees, anywhere that you listen to podcasts.